Welcome back everyone to the Rogue Retros Match Interview here on Rogue Opinions. Your host Scott McLeod here as always, joined as I was last week by Jack Graham to look at the go-home episode of Smackdown for Armageddon. And it was weird to find this episode of Smackdown, Jack, is that this one contained actual wrestling on it. Um, yeah, like last week's it was all just kind of bit part nonsense to be honest. I mean, enjoyable nonetheless with the finding out what happened after the wedding that but at least you actually got some stuff to talk about here going into her again mm. it's funny because like Smackdown is like, like considered by me as a wrestling show at least it was like, back in the day and I think we, we're getting that here because like the first few months they've really been experimenting with the show not really knowing what the what they want it to be and I think it's a case of well we've kind of sold you on the pay-per-view and we've been taking the storylines as far as we can go without having the pay-per-view itself, so might as well give you some actual matches this week. Ah, uh, you know, the, the matches were quite good as well, like, when you even, like, see it on on paper, you've got, like, so, like, well, I mean, I don't, I don't want to spoil it of what's, what's going to happen in the show, of course, but on card, it's, like, it's potential to be a good show. Mm-hmm. Uh, the main thing I need to talk about from Raw, to start us off, is the fact that the, uh, the saga of the fallout of the wedding continues where on Raw Stephanie arrived to the arena to talk to her dad about what she wants to do regarding Triple H and Vince again promises to stay out of it and obviously he's forced to stay away from Triple H because they've got that restraining order against them and basically it's saying up tonight them signing the contract officially for the Armageddon match between Vince and Triple H and obviously these added stipulations that were made on Raw where if Triple H wins, he stays married to Stephanie and he's guaranteed a shot at the WF title. Or if Vince wins, he, well, the marriage with Stephanie will be annulled. See, that took, that took me all of 10 seconds to explain. This segment took 15 minutes to be able to <laughs> set up what I explained to you in 10 seconds. Because Triple H comes out, he's been presented with these papers, the annulment papers to sign. He comes out acting all heartbroken as if he doesn't want to break up with Stephanie. And then forces her to come out to the ring. And then she says, my father will kick your ass at Armageddon. And Triple H is so confident, fine. And he sets up the stipulation. And then Vince comes and goes, okay, on SmackDown, I'll have it in writing. We'll sign it there. And then Triple H basically forces a kiss on Stephanie, forcing Vince to watch, knowing that Vince can't do anything about it until Armageddon. Because again, the, the restraining order... Like a lot of people slag Triple H for like his long promo segments, and uh, it's nice to see he's been doing it for quite a while. Hey, he knows how to keep a good a good act going with with promos, doesn't he? He knows how to how to at least tie you to a commercial break. <laughs> I know. I mean, I was watching the segment, right? and just he comes out for ages. He's kind of entertaining, and then Stephanie comes out, and I'm just sitting there watching the raw, and just like. This has been going on for fucking ages. <laughs> and like Armin knows like what's gonna happen to Armageddon, so that's maybe what's affecting how I view it, but I'm watching it and I'm like, get to the fucking point. I mean, you're I know you're live and all that, but like you've got two hours and I feel like I've been there for that long. So <laughs> later on we're gonna have the official contract signing for the main event of Armageddon, but we actually start smacking we do have the intro. And then we go straight into a match. It's Chris Jericho taking on the Road Dog, which is kind of odd because Jericho is being presented as a heel against China in their feud. And Road Dog is a part of DX, the heel group in the company at the minute. Uh, despite the fact that Road Dog still insists on doing all his Road Dog shtick that gets the crowd on his side. So we're starting off with a, a heel v heel match on the show. Yeah, it was a. Uh... I, I, I don't really know how common it is that you kind of see all our wrestling show, even at that time and recent as well, they actually start a wrestling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's not very, it doesn't happen very often, especially not right about here. And like the match gets a decent amount of time because, like, in this era, when they do start off with a match, you expect it to be quick and then basically be a glorified kind of angle. And what we've been told is DX cannot interfere in each other's matches, otherwise they will face a suspension. 
I'll quickly say on Raw, DX, uh, the Outlaws defended the tie titles against Too Cool. The Too Cool are starting to get more and more over. In fact, Scotty Too Hotty in that match hit the worm as an actual move for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that match, the DQ cut the hall, he's got involved setting up their match against Rikishi and Viscera at uh, Armageddon. And Jericho was uh, the surprise partner of, of Al Snow against the Rock and Sock on Raw. And then China got involved in that match, taking a cheap shot at Jericho at the start of that match. And China gets involved again as she comes out to commentary for the match. And, well, I mean, we need something to liven up the commentary. And it looks like the missing ingredient was that ball of charisma, China. China's always been someone I've wanted on a commentary desk talking about wrestling. It's, <laughs> it's always been what's kind of missing in my life. And <laughs> being able to watch it here, it was, I, f- I felt blessed. Yeah, and China does also get involved with helping Road Dog against Jericho, not because she wants to help Road Dog, but because she wants to screw over Jericho. But it, it was something that I was sitting there watching it thinking, it reminded me of the fact that after uh, No Mercy, when she won the IC title, she basically just separated from Triple H and then DX get back together, but she's nowhere to be seen with them. And it just reminds me that we never actually got an actual payoff to that. We never got an explanation as to why China suddenly decided yeah, I'm not going to be a part of DX anymore. I just, it just kind of happened, didn't it? It's kind of the only thing I can kind of maybe relate to in kind of recent times is when Braun Strowman just wasn't part of the Wyatt family anymore. He was off mm-hmm. TV for a couple of months and he just appeared as like the monster among men. And that was it. It was kind of similar to that. Yeah. Uh, the main like, takeaway of this match is that uh, Jericho looks like he wins the match. But uh, Road Dog's foot is on the rope, but the referee doesn't see it. China gets up and tells him, look, shows the referee that his foot was on the rope. So the referee starts the match. Road Dog hits a bump panel slam on Jericho. His foot gets on the rope, but China pushes it off. Despite the fact that the position she was in, the referee probably wouldn't have seen it anyway, so what was the need for her to push it off the, the, in the first place? Just basically furthering the, the China feud against Jericho. But Jericho's still quite over, that China kind of looks like the arsehole in the situation. I think it kind of spells that maybe the China experiment is kind of over. Oh, yeah. You can even just tell at this point that it's kind of, not, not that it was dead and buried, but like it was definitely heading the way that the fans were getting to the point of not caring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think uh, they're definitely kind of on the wall, you know, they got the rematch coming uh, Armageddon, it will be a, a good match because uh, Jericho, despite China's, China's complaints about him and the way he worked, does do his best to make China look confident because uh, China's, when it comes to her matches, she's only as good as the person she's putting the ring against. Oh, 100%. It's... I mean, that, that, that's it. It's exactly what he said. She's only as good as the person she's in against and it's, it can only be as entertaining as that. It's... Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know. How, I don't know how how good a thing that is or not. Well, I think it does show. Obviously, she is still very limited. But like again, like the idea of like hiding the weaknesses and showing the positives, and with the right opponent, you can do that. Yeah. Although I do think also if China was being as featured as she was, maybe she should have tried to get a bit better. But then again, I don't think work rate with the exception of guys like maybe Jericho and Ango and some people who are going to be coming in in 2000, for the majority of the top stars, you can kind of get away with a limited moveset. I oh, 100%. It's uh, something, something like that, especially when it's like Chris Jericho, like top of his game, he's top of his game for years. Like He, he can carry anyone to a good match. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's still going today. It just shows how good he is. No, definitely. Uh, first of uh, quite a few McMahon segments on the show where we had them all in their, the dressing room and there's a knock at the door and it's Test and they awkwardly asked if they can have he and Stephanie can have the room as the McMahon shuffle out and uh, basically she, uh, he wants to post call off their engagement because uh, like, he just can't get over what happened with Triple H and all that and like 
And just again, it goes back to what I said last week. Like, again, Tess, this is not Stephanie's fault. Like, why are you? I know you're upset, but the person you should be upset with is Triple H. Go find Triple H and beat him up and, like, making Stephanie feel shit. And then Xbox bursts in and basically jokes, like, oh, Seth, what are you doing with my best friend's wife? And uh, Tess gets up in Xbox face and basically just shoves the door in his face, doesn't beat him up, despite the fact. Tess is like twice Xbox size and could easily crush him. It's see, obviously, see if you're watching at the time, you just kind of you, you get behind the story. But as like as we watch it, we have to talk about it and whatnot. And then you you brought up the point last week that none of this is Stephanie's fault. Everything to do with this just angers me now. Mm-hmm. It's just it's yeah. so stupid. Mm-hmm. I know, because like, they clearly didn't have a plan for Seth to use this thing with Triple H to get Steph and Tess, make sure Seth and Seth didn't actually need to get mad, because obviously I don't think they planned for them to actually go that far with their like, on-screen story. But like, at least make Tess look somewhat strong coming out of it. Don't make him look like an arsehole who just basically throws Stephanie aside when, he, when she really needs him. Because like, we've been talking about on this show that it really should be Tess in that position against Triple H because like they would try and push Tess in years after this and no one seemed to care and it's probably because people remember what he was like here Ah, it was the kind of the, the, the first nail in the coffin so to speak mm-hmm. Yeah uh, The world's greatest tag team, Kurt Angle and Steve Blackman are out next, taking on the Dudley Boys. Angle and Blackman continued their winning ways against the Hardy Boys on Raw. And uh, quite a good actual uh, finish to the match where you had uh, Jeff going for poetry and Moshe dives off Matt's butt and Steve Lavin just catches him with one of his weird, as they call it, karate sticks that he's got or martial arts sticks that he carries about. And then Angle just takes advantage of the cover and basically acts like he did it all on his own. And what's funny about Steve Blackman is basically his whole thing is, oh, look, he knows martial arts. Because, like, they just keep adding the word martial arts on anything. Like, you kick someone, that's a martial arts kick. Hit someone with a weird stick, that's a martial arts stick, that. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, he's just such a charisma charismaless vacuum as Steve Blackman. Uh, Angle brings him into the ring, he calls him his nemesis and partner. Uh, and obviously, they're still going to be going ahead with their match at Armageddon. And it, it looks like they're actually working well together as a team. However, there's a bit of a miscommunication. Blackman gets it with the 3D with the win. And uh, once the Dudleys leave, Angle immediately gets on the mic and yells, like, I'm still undefeated. That was not my loss. Steve Blackman lost. I didn't lose. And then he hits Blackman with the Angle slam and leaves. Like, a good way to like, basically cause some tension for their match at Armageddon. But like, I can't help thinking they got this arse about face because, like, you have surely you should have just had them team for a few weeks, then announced the match at Armageddon after the fallout of their loss here, and not basically say before they start teaming, oh yeah, they're going to fight at Armageddon because then you're just waiting for their eventual like you're waiting for the dissension. What, what do you, what do you mean, Scott? This is the this is the biggest shock in 1999. <laughs> of course it is. Like, because uh, like Kurt Angle's like undefeated streak is kind of famous around this time, and like basically, it's it's a good like addition to his character because like we're seeing more of the personality of Kurt Angle with each week, and basically it's the idea he he is such a he cares about winning, he cares about being the best so much that he can't accept the loss. So like, if he loses a tag match, it's not his fault; it's the other guy's fault. I I was like it's a it's a good way of kind of as as Shrek so beautifully describes it pulling back the layers as if you're an <laughs> onion to get into that character of who Kurt Angle actually is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never thought I'd see a, a Shrek comparison to Kurt Angle, but you know, <laughs> it's twenty twenty. Anything can happen. Apparently, you can let it happen. You let it ride. <laughs> It may seem like a, a skin through the match, but like not really much happened other than the finish that is noteworthy, obviously, because you're waiting for the eventual the implosion, 
despite their mega powers before them of Angle and Blackman. And like, yeah, they beat the Hardys and that, but like the Dudleys are going to be a big team going forward. So like, it makes sense that they are the ones that get the win. Ah, uh, just it, it. It leads to the point at the end of the match. It's kind of the big talking point so well. It just um, the win for the Dudley boys makes sense, especially Blackman getting pinned. Hmm. Uh, now, I love Kevin Kelly. You know, I, I'm a big follower of New Japan. I do a show over on ESSR about New Japan every month. And I love Kevin Kelly as a play-by-play guy over there. But here, I just put down, Kevin Kelly has a creepy face. Because <laughs> he recaps a segment that happened like, on Raw and sent up an interview he's going to have later on with Miss K. And I'll talk about what happened on Raw when we get to the Miss K segment. But like, he talks about what Miss K will be wearing and then he just moves his eyebrows up and down a wee bit, looking right down the camera, just looking at you like, ugh, like... Get away from me, Kevin Kelly, you creepy bastard. Yeah, it wasn't uh it wasn't an enjoyable watch, even just that kind of minute with a face. It was just uh you look at it and you're just like, right, I'm gonna go get a drink or you're gonna go to the toilet or something when that <laughs> when that appears. <laughs> Cause Kevin Kelly's usually good but like he says like he's like, We need a weirdo to interview the the interview the the woman wrestler and Colin King aren't available, so Kevin Kelly act creepy. Ah <laughs> oh, well, if it works, it works. <laughs> Coming up next, we have uh, the prestigious European Championship as Christian comes out to face the British Bulldog, and the first thing that strikes me is this weird solo music they've given a Christian is just like so. Generally, I hear, I hear the music and I don't even like think. Who the hell is this? And then it comes up on the Titan John Christian. I, I was, I was very, very perplexed by it. I had a double mm-hmm. take actually when I was watching it. Uh, I, I didn't know if it was something maybe some sort of copyright thing or whatever when I was doing it. But I, it's, I don't get it. I think they're kind of testing the waters here because of the edge, as we said. And Kayfabe has injured his knee in reality. He's off filming his role in a, his bit part role in Highlander Endgame. He is going to be back for for Armageddon. He and Christian are going to be one of eight teams in a big battle royal to determine the number one contenders for the tie titles. So Edge will be back. But I think they're testing the waters here because uh, I remember listening to uh, something to wrestle with, Bruce Pritchard's podcast about Christian, and they talked about how. Originally, there was an idea about splitting Edge and Christian up shortly after WrestleMania 2000. So I think here you're seeing like the testing of like solo music for each guy and like them go maybe going after singles titles because in the past Edge has also went after the European title. He even got like a one day reign as IC champion earlier in the year. So eventually, before obviously Edge and Christian came out, and basically went, "No, you need to let us run with this." And obviously, the right decision was made then, but. Back here, the the idea is still floating about. What if we split Edge and Christian up? What would the what would the wrestling world do if they split up Edge and Christian in their their five second poses being gone? What what becomes of it? I know. Would we even have TLC matches today if we if they split up after WrestleMania? Oh, it's a it's a thought that I don't even want to consider, Scott. I know. What would what pay per view would we have to have every December? If there was no TLC. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't know. Table, uh, tables, ladders, and candlesticks. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> no, that same ring to it. Uh, Bulldog, he interrupted a number one contenders match between Bill Brown and Val Venus on Raw. Basically guaranteeing that the winner of this match faces both of them in a triple threat at Armageddon. And as Budo's coming out, something that happened on Raw once or twice, and it happens once or twice here on SmackDown, the uh, the arena kind of goes, gets covered this orange lighting, and this big flash symbol appears on the Titan before briefly going away. And I was just sitting there wondering, hmm, whatever could that be teasing? Whatever, indeed. Oh, how I wonder. Uh, maybe a certain extreme wrestler is uh, is on his way 
to the company uh, more on him later on. But what I did love is the fact that like every now and then when that does happen, like it happened on Rowan Jacqueline was coming out to the ring and she he like stops and acknowledges what what's happening on the screen. Bulldog on the other hand does not give a shit. He doesn't care the fact that the, the arena basically went black. He just walks to the ring nonchalantly, doesn't even look at the screen. I kind of respect it in a way. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like he he knows what he has to focus on. He doesn't need the the the, the dim down lights or whatever appears on the screen to to phase him out. He's just he's got that goal in mind. He needs to get to that ring. He needs to uh, fight with that title in mind, and <laughs> he does it. I mean, that is one interpretation of it. You know that he's just frame focused on defending the the European title that he loves so much. My <laughs> my question was, he's just at the point where he's basically. Like he cocks in, he cocks out, comes out, has his match, fucks off, because like he is, he is knackered. He's done, and I say it every week, but it just gets harder and harder to look at him. Ah, uh, he, he does look like he's absolutely gobbed. Mm-hmm. Uh, that does mean that this match does not go very long. He has quite dominant start, kind of overpowering Christian, hits the delayed suplex. But, like, there's very little reaction for the crowd. They don't do the whole, like, curtain along or, like, getting excited waiting for him to drop. They just, uh, they're just watching because, like, it's one of the few moves that Bulldog can actually do now. Uh, Christian gets the reverse DDT, sets him up for the unprettier until the inevitable interference from the posse get involved. And then there's a brawl with Valvius and Dilo Brown. Basically, see you Sunday. Big triple threat match. It's basically the mid-card match. Basically, like, Think of three guys who were challenged for the for the European title. These three. It's it's something you literally could have wrote down play by play on paper, and you mm. would have guessed a hundred percent what happened right there. Pretty much, yeah. You could like see it coming a mile away because, like, you love Christian, but at this point, Christian's not winning a singles title, not least of all the bloody European title. And like also they've got this match coming up, like the Tizo. What if Edge, what if Christian wins? Is he going to be in a triple threat, or is it going to be made a four way? Like, don't don't tempt us like that. Because like. <laughs> obviously, a Christian triple threat match with with Christian Val and Dilo, that I think could be a quality match. But you know, I mean, we're we're not allowed nice things in '99. Nah, you're not. You're not allowed anything good like that. <laughs> Uh, back to Kevin Creepy uh, with uh, Miss Kitty backstage as we recap what happened on Raw as the announcement of the four-way evening gown match that's going to happen at Armageddon for the women's title. Now, a week ago on Raw, we had Baby, who was an EMT for the company and is uh, becoming, who started becoming an on-screen figure. In real life, got engaged to Hardcore Holly. So uh, another reason to dislike Hardcore Holly. She came out, she wanted to face Ivory because Ivory embarrassed her on SmackDown and they set up potentially an evening game match between the two. And then the next week they come out and they're teasing at the evening game match again, but now they announced that, oh, it's going to be a four-way at Armageddon. And it feels like to me that they were going to, they initially were setting up for like a one-on-one match, maybe for the women's title, Ivory v. BB. But I think they learned, because after that first promo BB cut, we all learned collectively that Baby's fucking awful. <laughs> As I joked that like she, the only way I could believably buy her playing EM, an EMT is in a porn parody, and unfortunately she's got the acting to match it. When she talks about how much she dislikes Ivory, I'm like, I want to give my hands on Ivory because uh, I'm really disappointed. And so the ends it's going to be a four way on Armageddon. Ivory comes out again to insult Baby, and like she keeps making. I don't want to say clever jokes, but she makes kind of jokes to basically about the only reason people like BB is the size of your tits and that. And then she decides after one or two, just to just forego all subtext, all pretense, not to be around the bush, so to speak, and basically just looks at BB and goes, your breasts are quite enormous. Just says that pure deadpan right towards it, and I just, I just laugh having to watch it, because like the kind of shit they're giving Ivory. And then they announce, oh, Jacqueline's the third competitor, and like, oh, but who's the fourth person going to be in China's music kits? And out comes Shane, they're all teasing, like, oh my god, is China going to go for the women's title? 
she get pulled double J arm again and like, no, it's not me. It's Miss Kitty. And the Miss Kitty's panicking, like, I can't lose an evening gown match. I don't wear underwear. And I wrote, and China goes, well, you, you better win. So that's the big pull for, for Armageddon. Not if Miss Kitty will win the the match. The idea of it, if she loses, is she going to be wearing underwear at Armageddon? What, like, seeing 2020, man, even just speaking about that, what, what a disgusting mocking ploy, isn't it? Uh-huh. Uh, I know. Because, like, and then it's a four-way. They don't announce it. They just say, oh, it's going to be a four-way. And, like, you think it's just a regular fatal four-way match. It happens to be an easing gear match. No. Because somehow, I don't know what happens between now and, and Armageddon, but somewhere along the way, they add a pull to the mix. So the match doesn't put place in the ring. It takes place in a pull. Well, that's how you're going to get horny teens in watching it, aren't you? <laughs> I think it just speaks to the weird mind of, of Vince McMahon. Because, like, Vince thinks one of the funny things in the world is pushing somebody in a pool. And then, so that, plus one taking their clothes off, we're getting a weird insight into what Vince McMahon is into. That's, that's Vince's dream. That's, that's what he's, that's all he's ever wanted, and he finally gets it. Yeah, he, gets, he finally gets it. And so Kitty gets interviewed by, Kitty Kelly said, I'm going to win the women's title. Said, they're not going to be calling this Kitty anymore. They're going to call me the cat after this. And then Kevin Kelly kind of, he is very dismissive about our chances of winning and it basically jokes like, oh, you, you better wear some underwear in case you don't win. Uh, but she's like, but I will win. Like, he's like, yeah, but in case you don't win. And then she basically attacks Kevin Kelly very awkwardly as well, like she's clawing at him, trying to rip his shirt off and all that before they finally cut back into the arena. That yeah. Cut I, back to the arena could happen sooner. No, no, it, it could not. <laughs> Fucking... What are we even talking about here? I mean, I want it's not centered around the women's title. I'm actually around the fact that what if Miss Kay doesn't win? We might she might not be wearing any clothes. Like, oh, for fuck's sake! <laughs> Suddenly, that ivory BB mat one on one match seems uh, not too not too far out. Can we please have that? <laughs> That's, BB, I mean, you take that over anything. I know, BB. I'm sorry that. Like, two minutes ago, I slagged your acting, but, like, it's better than the cat's acting. Because, <laughs> let's be face it, the only reason this Kitty's even in the match is because she's married to Jerry Lawler. Like, I don't like to make those kind of accusations, but, like, it's, it's quite clear. Because she gets paired with Jeff Jarrett, and then, for whatever reason, when Jeff Jarrett leaves, she's randomly paired with China, despite the fact that, from what I've heard, China didn't like her. Like, she hated being paired with Miss Kitty. And they want to push Kitty as, a, as on her own. So randomly, like, oh yeah, let's make Miss Kitty challenge for the women's title. And then what's funny is that, again, when China mentions that Miss Kitty's going to be the fourth competitor, Miss Kitty just looks so shocked. Like, surely you should have a, at least a bit of notice here. Like, why are we leaving it up to the last minute to decide this four way? The main boggles, but it's just kind of, it shows, you know, if you've got friends in high places you can can get to where you want to go well I was going to say in terms of Jerry Lawler 99 it's friends in very low places because <laughs> Jerry Lawler's not a very likeable man in this time true <laughs> speaking of not likeable people the big boss man oh boss man since we started this review has fed a man his dog had a match where the remains of that dog were on a pole he is fought in the Kennel from Hell match. He stole a man's father's coffin, but but then he took to a new low because on Raw, after Viscera's big wins over Kane, Viscera earned his long-awaited WAF title shot. The first time he's challenged for the title since as Mabel he main evented SummerSlam in '95. A match that nearly got him fired because he nearly broke Kevin Nash's back. So. But Viscera had this match with Big Show. He, they had this awkward brawl backstage where Viscera kind of awkwardly put him through a table. And they didn't have the best match. I mean, there's a weird tumble to the outside. Show wins with a drop kick off the top. Doesn't even choke slam Viscera because he's seen what happened when Kane tried to choke slam him last week. Show wins with a drop kick, beats Viscera, and then the boss man has footage up on the screen of uh, him chatting with Big Show's mum with a hidden camera, and Big Show's mum's crying, and the reveal basically 
that Big Show is illegitimate, which which allows Bossman to yield in the camera, hey, Paul White, you're a nasty bastard, and your mama said so. <laughs> oh, strange, strange, strange. <laughs> uh, like, Bossman, and then like Big Show was backstage after the commercial break on the phone to his mum, like, mum, how could you not tell me? And then he says, I know you're upset, mum, but what about me? <laughs> but like, just basically making this whole situation about himself, like, you don't forget about the fact that this guy basically barged into your mum's home, basically forced to reveal private information that she was clearly ashamed of. Like, no, it's all about you, big show, you big prick. Have <laughs> some sympathy for your mother. Your mums don't get enough appreciation in 1999. No, they do not. I mean, and they, they, I don't think the WF knows what illegitimate means. Because it doesn't mean that the guy who died isn't Big Show's dad. It just means that Big Show's mum and dad weren't married when he was born. It doesn't mean that it wasn't his real dad. Because they joke that Big Show isn't here because he's confronting his mum. Then Gerald Aller says, actually, they're looking to find out where his real dad is. And I remember at first thinking, well, the WF champion isn't on the go home SmackDown because he's at home with his mum. But then... As Bossman comes out with Albert for his tag match against the Hardys, they announce that Big Show actually is here, and then they go, oh yeah, he's probably going to look through the arena. Anybody, anybody in this arena could be his dad. <laughs> oh, it's just, oh, it's, it's, not, it's not good, is it? No, this is, this is your feud for the WWF Championship, lest we forget. Big Show is still the champion, and he's fighting with Bossman. He's not even going to main event the show, because I'll say it's all about Triple H and Vin. Like, so we have this match. He doesn't even get a chance to really get going because quick, quickly Big Show comes out and chases Bossman Albert to the back. He barely gets his hands on them. They get in the car and Big Show launches a pipe at them. It misses also the car as they drive away. And what I love is Big Show yelling that Bossman, you better run because I'm going to get you on again. He's like, you better run, run. Like, sure, he sped away in a car at some speed. He can't hear you. Who, who are you yelling at? I, I don't like it, Scott. I, I, no, I don't like it either. I don't think I don't think anyone likes this. <laughs> uh, like it's just a thing that like, you want Big Show to get his hands on the boss man. But the only thing is they've waited so long because like the first segment where they had boss man mock Big Show, I'm pretty sure was the Smackdown before No Mercy. So this has been going since October. This is December now. You had, you've had multiple opportunities for Big Show to get his hands on Bossman, and Bossman's gotten away every time to the point where it's like, is it really even worth it anymore? No. No. It's not worth it. <laughs> I remember joking in uh, that match uh, when he fed Al Snow his dog, saying, like, this is on a feud for the hardcore title. What the hell would he do for the world title? Forgetting that he and Big Show feud was for the world title. So I think we've seen the lengths he would go to be world champion. Like I'll steal a man's coffin and I'll I'll blackmail his mother. Uh, that's the length that Bossman would go to for the WF title. <sighs> but speaking of the lengths people will go to, we get a recap of the friendship between Al Snow and Mankind because uh, it looks like the the friendship is over. As on Raw, we got a promo segment between Mankind and Al Snow where uh, Mankind was trying. Help mankind to get over his issues with the rock, and uh, also like, yeah, but these people don't care about you the way I do. The rock doesn't care about you. I'm your real friend, and mankind's like, well, all due respect, oh, I like being part of the rock and so because Alston and mankind is good us. We are as friends as a tag team. We kind of sucked, and that really pisses off Alston. And Alston basically says that remember all those Alston jokes you made about me in your book. And he does make a fair few jokes and he's big about Alston. He says, basically, he reveals that it was him that threw Mick Foley's book in the trash, not The Rock. It was him all along because he wanted to show what kind of a friend The Rock is. And that book's a piece of trash, so I put it where it belongs. And before Mankey can respond, Alston just attacks him with a microphone, which leads to later on Rock and Salt v. Snow and Chris Jericho, as I, as I mentioned. And... It didn't really get a clean finish in that match because the Outlaws get involved because they have the tag title match against the Rock and Talk Armageddon. 
but Rod does go out the air with Mankin getting hit with the head as Al Snow just yells in the camera, I'm your real friend. And like I really like the video package they show here. And it really feels like a, a feud that's actually worth a match at Armageddon. But it's clear that the only reason this isn't a match at Armageddon is like they need the Rock and Sock in a featured match because the Rock can't be in the main event right now and there's nothing else for him. I it's it's enjoyable for what it is, but it's no it's just no really my cup of tea. I wouldn't go about <laughs> hitting a microphone off a best selling offer. <laughs> I know. Like I I really like the way they put the vert together the this video package, like showing that these two guys are friends and the way it all fell apart and it's good like the way they've built this feud and obviously the media Things that Rock and Talk are over, and then they get back together, and then the jealousy of Al Snow eventually forced them to reveal that it was him all along. But the issue here is, you know for a fact it's, that they want this may lead to bigger things for Al Snow, but you know for a fact, looking back on it in 2020, that Al Snow goes nowhere after this. Ah, this is the end, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Because like, you'll probably get like one or two matches with The Rock after Armageddon, but you know fine well The Rock's just going to hand, hand his arse to him. Because like by WrestleMania, Al Snow is in a thing called head cheese, and head cheese is not a main event gimmick. Head cheese, man, cheese <laughs> uh, you know, Al Snow. Well, Mister, there's no such thing as a uh, comedy wrestling. It's all based on how the audience perceive it. Yeah, head cheese. There's no such thing as comedy wrestling. You fucking prick. <laughs> so yeah, I've, I've mentioned you on this show. Uh, the uh, poor quality of interview that Ross got with Al Snow back in the day and basically Al Snow couldn't make time other than when he was bloody driving to do the interview which meant the audio quality was poor so you know not no love loss with us and Al Snow no get up hey you deserve to lose his best pal <laughs> and uh, speaking of his best pal we have Al Snow versus Mankind here on Smackdown and Mankind really just doesn't want a hit Al which means I was on offense for the majority of the match, you know. He he does get sent to the steps, but like Mankind's like kind of awkwardly, he doesn't want to follow up on it. Uh, that means I'll still kind of choke some, with like a cable. He's trying to get a chair, and the ring Mankind eventually makes his comeback. He gets the chair, and it's like I, I could hit him with the chair, but I don't want to. I still think of him as my friend, and then Al Snow blows him, and then he uses the chair. And I think that was the DQ, but again, like the main focus is about Ralph Snow is like he's not really going anywhere after this because Mankind's got his tight title match on Sunday to think about. Ah, yeah, there's there is actually nowhere for him to go after this. It's the he's actually went into a coldly sack and he can't get out. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's one way to say it because like, like they know. They're trying to hit you home that, that, that Al Snow is a villain now. And how do they do that? His gear is black. Because he used to wear a white shirt with black writing on it. Now he wears a black shirt with white writing. Because he's a baddie. Now that's that's how you do a heel turn. <laughs> I know, it's like when Shane McMahon started wearing black gear when he made a match with Miz. Like, it's with the classic heel moves. Either they wear black gear or darker version of their original gear. I'll just come out wearing a suit all the time. That just that's the two hallmarks in the way. Like this is how we show the audience this person is a bad guy now. You get you get them wearing all black. You get them having a pure grumpy face, and that's it. <laughs> well, also to be fair, he always has a grumpy face. That's <laughs> the way. He is. But like Mick Foley does make a lot of man, uh, Arsenal jokes in his book. Like he just every now and then he jokes about how like when someone's disappointed, like. He had the face of someone who just was forced to watch an Al Snow match or something like that. And like, obviously it's made it met in good fun. But obviously they're using it here as Al Snow's motivation for turn heel and in some ways you can kind of get it. Uh, we move on to the McMahon family coming out with the Stooges for the contract signing. And again, I've I've condensed this whole segment into three, three lines on my notes here. Again, another near 15-minute segment this was because Vince comes out. He said he's glad to get hopefully get this over us and this whole nightmare of Vince being married to his daughter can be over. 
then Triple H comes out and he keeps talking about business and shit like that. He then sends the contract down to Vince because they can't get in the same ring. Uh, Vince looks like, I thought you'd sign this. Oh no, you should know better than that. You never sign first in business, Vince. So Vince signs it and then Shane takes it back up the ramp to Triple H. Triple H signs it and then he attacks Shane and just throws him off the stage. Obviously Vince forced to watch it again because of the restraining order. Like, again, another extended segment to accomplish what could have taken a few minutes to. Again, it's the, the expert of tightening over to a commercial break. <laughs> I know, but this is on like a tape bloody show, though. This is not live, like it was true. on Raw. Very true. It's, 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 it's weird. I don't, I, don't know, I don't know why they make it so, so long. It's not as if they didn't have like a bunch of other stuff going on around this time they could just put in for five minutes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you could have gave one of the other matches that you got on the show a bit more time or something like that because some of these matches do go fairly short. Um, and then like, we've had all these segments the last few weeks of how personal this feud is between Vince and Triple H. So like we're kind of already ready for the match to happen. We don't need them like another 15-minute promo to hype us up about it because we already... We're already ready for the match. Aye, right, Fogart just kind of wanting it at this point. They're a bit fed up. It's just like, mm-hmm. can we just hurry up, please? I know. And plus, like, it's in this slow period for them. Like, the December pay-per-view is pretty much something you just have to get through to then get to the Rumble. So, like, we're going to get through this show. We want to get to Armageddon and then also start the build to, like, the Rumble. Aye, uh, it's, uh, it's just something to kind of turn the tide in it. Mm-hmm. What is weird is the fact that Vince does have the Stooges there and he could have brought in like Kermit security he wants. He does own the company. He doesn't have to stand there while Shane gets beat up. Like He could send someone to go up and help him. And I like to think that this is one of the first like major bumps that Shane takes like going off the, the stage. I mean, he does like... He has had matches against Tess where he did take a few like big bumps to the tables. But again, we're not used to seeing Shane take like the high spots as we are now at this point. So when Shane gets thrown off the stage, I like to think that this is where Shane started to get the taste for it. And then his dad comes to like check on him like, hmm, maybe the key to my father's love is taking big risks. And over the years, Shane would go bigger and bigger to the point he's jumping off hell in a cell. So again, now do you love me, Dad? Bump after bump after bump after bump. It's, <laughs> it's certainly one way to get our father's affection on it. He went all the way to becoming best in the world just to, so his dad would say he loved him. <laughs> <laughs> well, also do love is kind of a freeze frame before the start of a replay showing Shane getting taken off. And like I can't really fully explain on the, this audio form, but the look on the panic on Shane's face as he better get thrown is just Bicel just wider like, oh, as he's about to get thrown off the stage. It's just funny. <laughs> and now we have three DX matches in a row coming up next. First off is uh, the the loser, the man who won't stand up for his woman, Tess, taking on the man who will happily hit a woman as we've seen X-Pac. So, uh, not exactly two of the fan favourites at the moment. X-Pac comes out, uh, Tess really takes it to him with another Taz tease in their entrance. Uh, Tess kind of dominates, he beats up to, uh, X-Pac as he should have backstage earlier on in the show. Uh, he's sitting to the steel steps by Xbox, uh, punches in the corner. There is a blatant low blow at one point, but there if he doesn't see me see it. Xbox beats Test with the X Factor. Again, you talk about final nails, it's like, he doesn't, he doesn't get a shot at uh, Triple H to avenge what happened to Steph. He then in the go home show for him again takes Xbox, the, the underling basically of Triple H, and then he manages to get outsmarted and low blowed and then beaten with Xbox finisher in the middle of the ring. Just basically like another shovel on top of Tess like, there you go, back into your wee mid-car grave you go. It's just, it's, it's kind of sad in a way, isn't it? Like, you're in a kind of prominent position of being engaged with Steph and man, and then it just somehow all, like, you just lose it all like that, and mm-hmm. now he's literally nothing. Yeah. Test actually hasn't been on pay-per-view since SummerSlam, where he was in that match with Shane, the lover or leaver match, where basically 
he earned the right to keep going out with Steph. He earned Shane's respect, and like that after that, he he got engaged to her. So he had that big match. He's on top of the world, and then since then, he is not not only has he not appeared on pay per view, but he's made to be made to feel with each passing week like more and more of an afterthought. Ah, uh, that yeah, it's an afterthought, and that, that that's it. Mm-hmm. And like I love how the stipulation is like, oh DX, you know, no member DX should get involved in each other's matches, and then you can put Xbox in, and Tess is such a loser. Like, oh yeah, Xbox doesn't even need Darren Fiend; he can just easily beat Tess on his own. Like, despite the fact I said earlier, Tess is twice his size. God, was what, what a sad affair. Uh, like it just makes me sad, and like I feel bad like talking so much shit about Tess. You know, and now he's no longer with us and all that. But like you need just to get as you see it, and it's not not looking good. The the rematch from SummerSlam that we all wanted to see. We have The Rock taking on badass Billy Gunn, and uh, being from the UK, I don't usually get the insistence on your local sports team references and and WWE. So I just basically put my notes. Rock has a promo about baseball because there's some baseball player in the crowd. So Rock makes references to a local baseball field and the crowd pops because they understand that reference. And Rock talks about shoving a baseball bat up the uh, Billy Gunn's ass. That's how you do a promo, isn't it? <laughs> I mean... To be fair, as much as I wouldn't un- like, understand a lot of it, because also again, it's about baseball and it's not really a like, ex- area of expertise, as it were. Like The Rock, again, it doesn't matter what he's talking about, he has like the, the crowd in the palm of his hands at this point. It's just, he's so, so good. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, what a guy. Yeah. What I know, guy. I mean, this should be, if it's not truly, this, this should be who the WWF champion is at this point. This is this should be the this is the guy and the club. Even when Austin was around before Austin went away for his surgery, you could tell before he went away that the title was kinda of switching and the rock is now like the, the top guy right now as we go through to the year two thousand, the rock is just consistently gonna be the top guy. Ah, he's dead. He's just He's ready-made for it, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was. He's always been kind of over since or about ninety-seven, starting ninety-eight. But he was always seemingly number two to Austin. Like since before Austin went away, the Rock just became more and more over. That again to the point where he's starting to overtake Austin. I think that's why Austin put off going away for so long before going to get his surgery because he's probably afraid of losing that spot to the Rock. I'd be afraid of losing any spot to the Rock as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cause people don't really talk about that with Austin. Like Austin was just as paranoid as anybody. Like people talk about Sean or Hogan being paranoid of losing their spot. Austin was kind of the same. He's just not as well publicized. Whereas the Rock, kind of, like you've seen that he's finally go for the time. He'll, he'll, he'll lose the boss man on Raw. He'll feud with Val Venus or Billy Gunn. Like he doesn't care. And I think that's what endeared him to the fans and people in the company. Aye, it's um, I don't know. It's just it's quite. I wouldn't say it's very telling at times, but it's quite. It's quite shown that they've always kind of had the idea that they hundred percent just need me behind one person and a company to take them where they need to be, and that's it. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are technically kind of behind one. You can be behind one person, but like, as long as you've got like enough people that you've well built up just below them, they can easily take their place. Because like you had the two top faces of Austin and Raw, so that one could take the place of the other if the other got injured. But like, you can also build around a top heel as well as a top face. Because like, you've got the Rock as the top guy on the face side, and when it comes to the next year or so, when it comes to top heels, there's nobody that can touch Triple H as much as a. Gave him shit for the long promos. Triple H has finally found his calling as the true, like, final boss of the company in terms of, like, the bad guy side. Aye, he, he gets into his kind of rhythm. He finally finds, as you say, his kind of calling. 
of where he needs to be as a character, and he he just kind of excels from there, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. He is. Uh, this match with Billy Gunn, like something that's confused me about Billy Gunn the last few weeks is the fact that he's one of the he's in probably one of the better shapes than most people in the company and in DX, and yet for a reason he insists on wearing a t-shirt while he's wrestling, like a, a tubby kid going swimming. He wants to leave their shirt on. I don't know what the issue is there. Maybe there's nothing. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it's just the fact that considering even today's wrestling AEW Dark is looking in better shape at 50 than I am now at nearly 24. Like the fact that he's having to wear a t-shirt while he wrestles is usually a thing that somebody's gaining a bit of weight or something like that. But like Billy Gunn's still in phenomenal shape. Ah, uh, he's always been like. For- ridiculously like defined hasn't he mm-hmm. uh, it's been in that case but you can see why like he is athletic and he is in great shape and that's probably why earlier this year he was kind of tapped for big things like when he won King of the Ring and things like that and a lot of people kind of do blame the way The Rock kind of outclassed him on the mic is the reason why it failed uh, for a match so short they do include quite a bit of shenanigans here just like you got the ref getting knocked down and Billy Gunn hits the Famouser on the rock, but also like, the, uh, the ref's knocked down, so he can't make the cover. The ref gets up, gets knocked down again. Uh, the rock does hit the spine burst in people's elbow to eventually get the win. We had a match that went about five minutes, yet somehow managed to find space for two ref bumps. Two ref bumps, aye. Aye. Aye, because like, the ref gets knocked down because he, so he can't uh, make the cover after the Famouser. And then at some point, when the Rock Sammy keys come back, the ref gets knocked down again, but recovers just after the Rock hits the people's elbow, conveniently. It all makes sense now, doesn't it? It all <laughs> adds up perfectly. Huh. Well, our, our, our friend David Campbell is running a show called The Conspiracy Theories over on ASUS our future. We should send him this, like, how, how did the Rock manipulate the referees back in 99? <laughs> we've, we've got it, in fact. We've got it, we've got it. <laughs> <laughs> we've got proof we've seen it with our own eyes <laughs> uh, it's weird because these last three matches not really much backstage to really like to really separate them there's like bits of like Shane getting carried off and getting medical attention and then Vince has mysteriously disappeared and the stooges are wandering backstage looking for Vince but other than that nothing really much happens backstage basically the last three matches just boom 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 one after the other which is kind of weird when that happens on SmackDown. Yes, it's a rarity. It's like it, because it's something that's kind of strives so far from the norm of what you get. You're just taken aback and you're not used to it. You're like, wait, what? What am I actually watching here? <laughs> wait, wrestling on a wrestling show? I judge. <laughs> uh, but we have our our main event here, where we have a uh, Triple H taking on. A rightful main event, or Kane in the main event. Uh, it was Errol Hebner that was the referee that got knocked down in the previous match, I forgot to say. And then before the match could even start, Triple H was getting right up in Hebner's face, kind of shoving each other, and uh, Hebner shoving them back. Then Triple H just clocks them and just takes them out. And then a new referee comes down wearing a, a Vince mask. And uh, so Triple H takes him out at one point. Uh, Kane just no sells Triple H's offense, gets hits the like, does the sub spot. Another referee comes out, dresses Vince. He also gets taken out. There's a third ref, dresses Vince, attracts Triple H. He gets caught with a choke slam. He eventually like tries to leave, and then he's like confronted with all three of these referees wearing Vince masks. Like, and then he goes and over a man dressed in the same exact suit that Vince happened to be dressed in earlier on with also a Vince mask on, attacks him with a pipe, and then attacks all of DX with this pipe as the show goes off air. Like, okay, well, I'm seeing double. Eight Vince masks. Because <laughs> there's three referees and this one guy at the end who's clearly, obviously, Vince. But the point of the whole Vince mask thing is to, sh- to try and cause some doubt because Vince can't perform Armageddon sh- show he's come within 50 feet of Triple H. And like I liked kind of the match between Kane and Triple H, so there wasn't really much to talk about match wise because the referee shenanigans was the real takeaway because like one referee would get taken out and then another one would come in. Each time you're thinking, 
is that one Vince? Is that somebody else? Because you've got to think, there's three refs, so two of them had to be like Patterson and Briscoe, and one of them was maybe like one of the agents, maybe Tom Pritchard or whatever, and then the final one probably was Vince himself. I, I never thought I'd like I'd ever see like the eight faces of Vince all at the same <laughs> time. <laughs> I know. Like it is fair to say that like the match is kind of secondary to like, these constant people in Vince masks coming out. It's just again, it's just weird. That mm-hmm. SmackDown's been very weird. Uh, I know that's that's the tagline for this episode. Like SmackDown, it was weird. <laughs> and, and usually, you know, Kane being my favourite, I'd be annoyed. He's not really getting the focus. And like the because uh, he's big main event match against Triple H, but. It's all about kind of screw, these referees are all here to kind of screw with Triple H, and you know they're kind of trying to continue the story. And Kane like doesn't really get hurt all that much. He he gets some decent offense. And what I, I did think was kind of worrying though is the fact that if this is Vince under the mask at the, at the end in the suit with the lead pipe, he's about fifty three years old, I think, at this point. At least according to commentary, and he's he manages to take out the four top heels in DX. By himself with one pipe. He's a man possessed. I know. It's, it's funny. It's weird to see. Like maybe it's the mask that gives him powers. He's like Jim Carrey. Like he puts the mask on, he becomes. He gets all these superpowers. He doesn't think to wear that armor again, though. That would have. That would have helped him no end. God, I really. D- I never even thought about it. That, like the guy that actually runs the company just takes out. For the best heels, just because he can. Mm-hmm. Because they all run out just one shot, boom, they all go like down. And I'll see all these referees are trying to get in, all these real referees not wearing Vince masks are all trying to get in the middle of it, trying to separate them. And like, Gerald Lawler's going mental because he, he's convinced that is Vince. He's like, he should be going to jail, he should be going to jail. Because like, as he is making a point, like, he is violating his restraining order, and yet no legal action will ever be taken because. That would be logical, and you can't apply logic to wrestling sometimes. Logic should never be applied to wrestling. No, definitely not. So, like, yeah, you have Vince Man taking out all these these guys. I mean, they're not all like the most intimidating, like Xbox and Rodor. They're very much underlings, but like by association with Triple H, they are the top heels in the company. And to see them getting taken out so easily is kind of weird I think I don't think they were really thinking about that at the time they were just thinking of basically like DX being left lane and like Vince basically getting the last laugh on the way to Armageddon the way you think about how that makes DX look Vince is always going to have the last laugh isn't he to the, <laughs> the, the day he's not with the company anymore it's Vince will always have the last laugh regardless mm-hmm. absolutely yeah yeah Sorry, so a few weeks ago we made a joke about Stephanie's bachelor party and how we wanted to see a, a remake of The Hangover with like Miller, May, and Linda, and like the and the role like Zach Galanakis, Ed Helms, and Bradley Cooper roles. And now I'm just thinking, I, I don't, I'm thinking of a version of the Mass Jim Carrey film, but with Vincent Man and Jim Carrey's part. <laughs> that, that's oh, just going to be good. That's just going to be the thing now. Every couple of weeks on this review, like rebooking movies comedies with wrestlers in them <laughs> I've already got two down now, two down plenty I, more ago if I, if, I had, if I was any good at like Photoshop or could be arsed to learn I'd be editing the posters to these films in my spare time but I can't be arsed if someone out there does want to you know, feel free and send them to us we'll, we'll credit you when we treat them out <laughs> free publicity so that, and all that yeah of course you know you know, we won't, we won't just say, oh, look what we did. We'll, we'll credit you if you took the time to do it. But, Jack, like you said, it has been a weird episode of SmackDown. So that's, I'm interested to hear where your thumb is for this. And is there any one segment or match that you would tell people to go back in and watch? I mean, I'd probably give this a thumbs down, to be honest. It's. I didn't enjoy it at all. I don't think there was enough there to warrant it being 
even a thumbs in the middle because like a lot of the stuff it was just predictable and then obviously you saw stuff like eight folk wearing wins but man mass and all that. Mm-hmm. It's uh it's, it's no for me. I guess if I had to pick one thing, maybe it'd be the rock segment. That that'd be a bit it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel bad now that I've brought you into these two episodes and you've given them both something. I feel like uh, it feels like feels like I just brought you in these episodes that you've absolutely hated. It feels like I've 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 wronged you in some way. <laughs> it's just the the luck of the draw, I think. Yeah, I'm kind of a thumbs in the middle, but kind of knit my thumb is dangling towards going the thumbs down. What's keeping it up is in the middle is the fact that. Like there was quite a bit of wrestling. I thought, like, if you can't really build the storyline that much further, at least give it give us some like decent wrestling. And there were one or two matches that were solid, as short as they were. The worst there is some bollocks as we talked about, but that's kind of the fun of talking about is here that you can talk point out the bollocks of it and have a laugh at it. And I actually thought the shenanigans with Vince, as still as they were, kind of were a bit fun, with the exception I'm taking out DX on his own. So it's kind of a, a serviceable go home show, not the most thrilling like go home episode that we'll ever see, but I think it had a purpose that it served in some respects. Although thinking about where I would tell people to go back and watch, maybe the Alf know uh, kind of like video package and then the match itself, because like the storyline that they've been telling these two and the way they recap the the package well made you care about the friendship, even if as a tag team they did kind of suck, because they, they had a match back at Savarities against Outlaws, and my god, it was the most boring thing I've ever... <laughs> not, the most, not the most boring thing, but it was very boring, like, especially given the calibre of the guys involved. Imagine putting Al Snow as your kind of favourite thing for an episode to recommend to someone to watch. I know, I mean, maybe that, maybe that does speak to the poor quality of this episode, or maybe it's just the it said something about the quality of WZ and the way they put that video package together. Yeah. They, for a brief second, made you care about <laughs> Alf No. But, ladies and gentlemen, thank you all for listening to this episode. Jack, I want to thank you again for joining me these last two weeks. No, it's been my pleasure, man. I've enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. See, you've proven that on ESSR that you can perfectly recap Raw and you've shown that uh, you can you've shown those Ryan guys that you can recap SmackDown as well. I know I've just I've just pr- I've pretty much made them defunct on this po- on that podcast now. I know, <laughs> but yeah, if people wanted to keep up with you and the things you're up to with ESSR and your own podcast, where would they be able to find that? Well, if you want to find myself on Twitter, you can get me at, at underscore Jack Graham, obviously. Me and Scott apart, I eat, sleep, suplex, retweet. You can find that at suplex, retweet. And I've got my own other podcast, The Big Picture. You can find us on Twitter at at at, at underscore The Big Picture. <laughs> Not all them ats, just one at underscore <laughs> The Big Picture. I don't know how I got so confused there, but I did. There you go. <laughs> Very good. Uh, so yeah, check that out, the podcast with the more most ads and it's Twitter handle you've ever heard. Uh, <laughs> make sure we stay tuned for the next edition of the Real Great Respect Review. I have a special guest lined up for our Armageddon review. Uh, somebody that me and Jack know very well from our days as part of ESSR. Uh, speaking of ESSR, at Super Retreat, you can find them. But the show you really need to be checking out is Saturday Draft Live, a show me and Jack goes with our friend David Hockney, basically talking about our fantasy draft. We and basically picking ourselves up above everybody else and just having a general laugh. And you can find me at Scott McLeod 1986. You can find Scott and Paul's Rambling podcast at SP Rambling. We're doing a lot of SummerSlam stuff, a lot of impact, a lot of Fraser, kind of the usual for us. And here on Rogue Opinions, at Rogue underscore Opinions on Twitter. And then look back on our old episodes of the Rogue Retrospect Review, all the other guests I've had before, uh, stuff to do with SummerSlam. We've got the Banter Munich podcast on about football and we've seen a different podcast every other day at this point. Uh, Room 501, stuff me and Nathan Jimmy are doing basically. But so much in the back catalog for you to between this, ESSR, Cotton Ball Round podcast, the big picture. You've got an embarrassment of riches when it comes to podcasting content right now.
You're all lucky. You're welcome. <laughs> I don't think we can sign off. I don't think we can sign off the same any better. Just simply by saying, as a rock would say, you're welcome. <laughs> okay, okay. I see what's happening, yeah. Face to face with greatness and it's strange I know it's a lot The hair, the pod When you're staring at a demigod What can I say except You're welcome For the tides, the sun, the sky Hey, it's okay, it's okay You're welcome I'm just an ordinary demigod Welcome to think of it Kid, honestly, I could go on and on I could explain every natural phenomenon The tide, the grass, the ground Oh, that was Maui just messing around I killed a meal, I buried its guts Sprouted a tree, now you got coconuts What's the lesson? What does it take away? Don't mess with Maui when he's on a breakaway And the tapestry here in my skin Is a map of the victories I win Look where I've been, I make everything happen Look at that mini Maui Hey, 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 Well, anyway, let me say Thank you! <laughs>